And we continue to worship by reading in God's word, Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of God. Go ahead and be seated. Hi. Just wanted to make sure you're still hanging in there. Are you doing all right? All right, good. Romans 14, verses 13 through 23. And... The title of the message this morning is Kingdom of Joy. Kingdom of Joy. In one of the parables that Jesus teaches, it's actually in Matthew 25. In one of those parables, he talks about three different servants. And two of the servants are faithful and obedient to the master, and one of the servants is not. And, and he says the same thing to the two uh, faithful and obedient servants. Here's what he says to them, and it's, it's a phrase you're really familiar with, but I'll read it nonetheless. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. The kingdom of God, among other things, but the kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy in the Lord. Finding joy in God's kingdom is the planned result of being a part of God's kingdom. I'll say that again, just in case you came in a little surly. Turns out you can be surly and joyful, but we'll cover that later maybe. Finding joy in the kingdom of God is the planned result of knowing God in his kingdom. He is God who gives us joy by giving us himself. The idea is we have relationship with God in the kingdom of God, and it is characterized by joy that that's how it is characterized so one of the questions we have is well how do we experience that how do we participate in that how what gets in the way of that and that's what we're looking at over in romans chapter 14 beginning in verse 23 the kingdom of joy and we're going to really cover it in two different parts there's a challenge to living in the kingdom of joy and experiencing god's joy in the kingdom and there's also a great privilege there's a challenge and there's a great privilege. So let's start with the challenge. The kingdom of joy, the challenge is this. 
The challenge is living in community. The challenge to live... <laughs> what, that sounds rude? Well, it is. Have you met some of the people around? Yeah, I mean, no, I'm kidding, sort of. There, there, and I'm going to explain to you biblically why this is a challenge. But one of the challenges we face is uh, experiencing joy in the kingdom of God as we're doing this with other people. There's a community of believers, and that actually creates some significant challenges uh, to our experiencing the joy. But I'm going to show, that, show us also a little bit later how that is our great privilege. Just to remind you from last week, because this chapter, the, this section fits in with last week, and you may not have been here last week. We, Paul here in Romans chapter 14 is really talking to two different believers. He describes one group of believers as weak and one group of believers as strong. And he's not uh, insulting either group. He's described this way. There are some that were weak in their faith, Jewish believers or Gentile believers, who because of their background had certain things that felt really weird for them to do. So a Jewish believer who was raised to live uh, uh, and eat foods according to the Jewish dietary restrictions would feel strange eating bacon with their Gentile friends. And the Gentile believers who were used to eating meat uh, in their pagan background that had been sacrificed to idols, when they gather with their friends and see that they're eating the particular cut of meat that was normally used for idol worship would make them feel kind of weird. So both of them came into the community with things that felt weird to them but were not forbidden. That the Bible makes it quite clear, and we'll touch on it here in a minute, there was no, there was no forbiddenness in any dietary uh, decision. There's, everything's okay. But a person who is weak in their face isn't quite yet ready to experience that liberty because it feels strange to them. And what the Bible says to the strong believer who says, oh, I know everything's okay, I can just eat. Be careful with your weaker brother. So those are the two people that Paul has been talking to. This passage in particular, this section of Romans 14, is primarily directed at what he has described as the strong believer. The person who, because of their faith, is able to realize and experience the liberty. They can eat and drink whatever they want because they know there's no restriction. So we need to understand who this is being aimed at. But within the community of believers, we have the opportunity to experience God's joy. And here's the great challenge, living in community. There was a business person. He, had, he was project manager for a company, and he was doing some work down in Ecuador. So he had people from all over North America, Central America, and South America. They were working on a project in Ecuador, and they would have meetings where they would check progress, they would identify what needs to be done, and they would assign responsibilities. What he learned very quickly as he was coordinating these meetings is each person came into those meetings with different values. Primarily, his North American counterparts would come into those meetings, and their primary value was to work their way through the agenda to make sure they understood what expectations were and who was assigned what responsibility. Certainly, they were having the meeting, so there was some sense that they wanted to know each other. They wanted to know who they were working with, and they could put a, a name to a face and say, okay, I know who you are. But that was lower on the priority list of the primary agenda is working through the process. What do we need to do? What do we need to know? And who's going to do it? However, some of his Ecuadorian and South American counterparts, their primary goal of the meeting was building that relational connection. Certainly, they valued making sure the agenda was done and that they had responsibilities assigned, but that tended to come in second to the relational connection. And this is how we notice the difference. When an American would walk into a meeting late, which would happen on occasion, the American would sneak in the door, 
make a, a nod to the speaker, sorry about that, get into the back and get their notes out so they say, I'm ready to go, right? When one of his Ecuadorian co-workers would come in, the meeting stopped and every person at the table was personally greeted. And you would assume, well, one way is better than the other. The, action, the answer is no. Each person came into the meeting with a particular set of values informed by where they are coming from. Everybody was coming together from lots of different backgrounds. As it turns out, the community of God, the body of Christ, is from all over the place. All kinds of backgrounds, and that creates real challenges to experiencing kingdom joy together. Because it results in arguments and conflict and judgment over non-essential differences. So the aim is a, a kingdom of joy... The challenge is we come in from the, with lots of backgrounds and lots of non-essential stuff, and it creates a real challenge relationally. Look with me down at verse 17, if you will. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and, what's it say? Joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 gives us the great challenge. Therefore, do not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now, some of you are going, that's why I come to church. It's one of the few places I'm allowed to pass judgment. <laughs> not anymore. Do not pass judgment. The key point is this, is we can't look down on one another, and we also must recognize the differences of our backgrounds. He says, don't look down on each other, don't judge each other, and then finally, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of your brother. This, this uh, point is also echoed down in verse 21. Here's what he says down in verse 21, if you want to look down there. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes my brother to stumble. So we don't look down on those who come from a different background than us. And we want to be conscious and think, how is it that I can, in relational community, see and ensure that I don't put anything in front of my brother or my sister that might make their walk with the Lord difficult? We seek to do what we can to prevent roadblocks in the lives of others. Now, we'll just touch on this momentarily because we really harped on it last week. Remember, there's a big difference between a weak brother who is, whose conscience is constrained because of background to not eat meat or not drink wine because of a religious or cultural background versus a legalistic Pharisee who through religious obligation is seeking to control the behavior of others and conform a community of believers to their own image. There's, there's a difference between those two people. Paul and Jesus both had strong words for the a religious legalistic Pharisee. We're not talking about those folks. We're talking about folks who are weak in their background. They say, I come from a background of of uh, religious background, and, and if we're eating this particular kind of meat or people are drinking wine, it just makes me feel weird. It doesn't feel right to me. And the Bible is saying is those of us who are stronger, we should recognize that. And until they're stronger, do what we can to make sure there's no roadblocks, that they're not feeling that way. That's an, an obligation, but it creates a real challenge within uh, the body of believers. Look with me at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. How much, what is unclean in and of itself? Nothing. 
but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. This is recognized also down in verse 20. Everything is indeed clean, it says down in verse 20, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. There are no dietary restrictions in the body of Christ in the gospel. The issue here is not what is right and what is wrong. The issue is, how do I care for my brother by making sure I don't put anything in his way that would create a stumbling block? How do I recognize there are differences? Here's where we really have to come down to it, is we have to figure out where do we get our joy from? So this gets real, real here, because we're going to talk about steak again. I love that two messages in a row, a key theme has been cooked meat. Where do you get more joy? From a delicious steak or seeing a brother in the Lord grow in the Lord? That's a tough call right there. <laughs> right? What, what, the, what the strong believer will say is, I, the reason I have joy in the Lord is because of my liberty. And the answer is, well, actually, the joy we have in the Lord comes from the relational connection we have with others. And that joy we have in liberty is second to, or secondary to, the joy we have in seeing God work in the lives of others. Do we have joy because we get to live in liberty in Christ? I would hope so. But our primary joys, we will see, should come from the relational connection that happens in the body of believers. That's where the joy of the Lord really resides. It's not in just merely the expression of our liberties. Paul would argue it this way, I would suggest. There is more joy in giving up steak for my brother than eating steak. There is more joy to set aside liberty on behalf of my brother than there is joy in uh, experiencing the liberty I have uh, in Christ. This is the challenge to our experiencing joy is we tend to assume joy is found when I get what I want. And in the Bible, joy is found when we find community with people who are different than us and maybe even weaker than us in the body of Christ. Biblical teaching is clear. There's no dietary restriction. The issue is where do I think I will get my joy from? One author has said that people are basically happiness hunters. We're all looking for happiness. And you will do and go where you think you will find happiness. And for most of Christian history, we have pursued our personal preferences and our personal liberties in pursuit of happiness instead of relational community with those around us. So let's look at the how of joy in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. This is echoed down in verse 20 again. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. The how of community is simple. It's defined by love for one another, meaning I love my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we will give up whatever we need to give up to see them grow in their faith. And that our primary objective is to avoid destroying the work of, the God, of God in their life or grieving the work of God in their life or causing them to stumble. In fact, taking initiative 
to try and do what we can to make the road smooth in front of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you know somebody in your life whose faith is weak, thinking about what can I do to smooth out the road in front of them by giving up some of the things I might prefer or I might like. He gives some imperatives, some to-dos for us down in verse 22 and 23, if you want to look there. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Just an aside here, it popped into my head, and I don't have the ability to not say what I'm thinking. It's a character fly, I know. It's okay if everybody doesn't know all your opinions. I'm just saying. I, like the world won't end if you have a strongly held opinion that, that you just hold. Moving on. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not by faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So he's, he's talking into the, weaker bro- the stronger brother, I should say. He's saying, listen, you have this great thing that you know in your Christian liberty, you can en- enjoy a cold beer or enjoy a big steak or you can enjoy a particular movie or show that you enjoy going to or buy a particular vehicle that you know you will uh, enjoy driving. And you know, though, there might be another uh, brother in the Lord or sister in the Lord who in seeing you do that will go, wow, okay, I didn't, wow, I didn't know Christians could do that. And what he's saying is, you're, is, is you want to do what you can to keep your brother and sister who is weak from saying, you know what, well, I guess I'll do that. I guess it's okay. And their conscience is, is then uh, convicted because they did something they didn't uh, think they ought to have done. You've empowered them by your liberty to do something that in their conscience, they, they don't really know that they ought to be doing. And the call here is, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, is to intentionally think, okay, this is an area of Christian liberty. Is there a place for me to make sure I don't cause a stumbling block to a weaker a brother. Gospel community, by definition, is defined by the work of Christ. Because some of you are stronger brothers and sisters of the Lord. Of course, that's everybody, right? Yeah, this is starting to annoy you a bit. Well, it sounds like I, I don't get what I want all the time. Okay, here we go. The gospel community, by definition, is defined by the work of Jesus, who, in Philippians chapter 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, making himself into the form of a superhero, no, servant, even to the point of death, no, not just death, death on a cross. So the trajectory of Jesus' ministry to us, to redeem us, is the trajectory of relational community in the body of Christ. How do I relate to my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ it should look like the trajectory of Jesus, which is from glory to servanthood, from glory to humiliation, intentional humiliation to serve others for their needs, a giving up of rights and privileges in order to serve the, the, the brothers and sisters in the community. This is how gospel community works. This is how joy is found in the body of Christ is when the body of Christ as individuals, we say, I want to be like Jesus, which means who's the first one to give up the most stuff? 
And we say, how could I ever find joy if I give up all my stuff? We have to be convinced by faith that there's greater joy in being like Jesus than getting all the things we want and having things the way we thought think they ought to have them. And some of you are sitting in here, and I'm glad you might think this, but then I'm going to pull a punch on you. Some of, the, some of you say, well, man, we got this. I don't see any problems. I get along with everybody. Right? Some, are, you, are you thinking this or no? I used to blame it on the first service. Now I can't. There's no problem. I, I get along with everybody in the church. We, have, you know, we seem to get along pretty well. We, I, don't see, I, don't see, I don't even know why Romans 14 is in the Bible. Just a quick question. How many churches are there in Medford? There's a couple. Uh, certainly there's all these churches because all the other churches are just heretics. Right? I mean, how many churches are there in Medford? Think about it that you, would, you have absolutely no doctrinal issue with whatsoever. A whole bunch. Now, certainly, there's a whole bunch of places of worship that we would say, you know what, those are, they don't believe in Jesus. There's a number of them, right? But there's a whole bunch of them. They're, they're, they believe just like you and I do. Why are there so many churches? How many churches were, was there in Rome when this was written? Why was this such a big deal? Well, you know, I don't like the fact that you're eating bacon, buddy. I'm going to the... Oh, there isn't one. What are you doing? The, the reality is, we say, oh, we don't have a problem with this. Oh, yeah, look in the yellow pages. No, sorry. Look on the Google. The, the fact that, that we have to have a church for every kind of music, every kind of dress, we have to have a church for people who like people, churches take offering, we have churches for people, churches, people who don't take offerings, we have churches for people who uh, think we spend lots of money in buildings, and then let's have a church where we, we don't spend any money on buildings, and then we have churches where people wear shorts, and then people wear slacks, and then we have uh, churches for white people, and black people, and Latino people, and we have we have all kinds of it. We got churches with pews. We got churches without pews. We got churches with big giant arches that look like boat. I think it's a boat that's upside down. <laughs> then we have churches in a warehouse with fancy lights and fog machines. Why do we have all these churches? Because we don't get this. Because we don't get this. We, we approach church nowadays like we're going to go out to dinner. And we're going to post a Yelp review when we're done with church. I don't know, the pastor was kind of funny, didn't dress very hip, and oh, the people were kind of snobby, whatever it might be. So, so it's like we're going, to, we're going to a restaurant. If I like the church, then, then that's what matters. And it completely, completely misses the point of what relational community is supposed to do for us. This is the one place where we experience joy by recognizing we need to sacrifice to experience the joy of the Lord together. We, we live in the joy of the Lord when we act like Jesus among the community of believers. And the reality that we have so many flavors of churches, just we, we, we don't get it. And I'm not saying all the other churches should, should close down. That's not my point. My point is it's just a diagnostic that we don't get this. We will go where the place kind of fits what we want to do. And I'm thankful that Jesus, when he left heaven to save humanity, didn't go to the place that fit him because there wasn't one. He would have stayed home. The kingdom of joy, the challenge is 
living in relational community and saying, the joy of the Lord is experienced when I get to express and receive grace among relationships with people who are very different from me. Guess what? The challenge of the gospel community that we have here in front of us actually presents us the best opportunity for us to live like Jesus. So the kingdom of joy, if the challenge is living in community, the privilege is living like Jesus. And this is verses 16, 17, 18, and 19 of the passage. At the Olympics this year, in the women's 1500, one of the qualifying heats, the Dutch runner was the favored runner for the heat. In fact, she was favored uh, to win the gold medal. Ultimately, she ended up with the bronze. She is a Dutch runner, and in the heat, she was by far the favorite uh, runner. She was a Dutch runner, but she is Ethiopian-born. She was running on the final lap. Just as they cross, cross the finish line, the bell rings. One more lap to go. There's a great kerfuffle. That's the fancy term. And a number of runners stumble to the track. She's one of them. When she finally gets up, she is so far back. I mean, she's last place by a long shot. As she's getting up just near the, the finish line with one lap to go, the front runner is coming out of the corner. That's how far ahead. That's almost 200 yards. She runs a flat-out sprint. Now, a flat-out sprint of a 400-meter lap to me would make me die. In fact, I'm having a, a bit of a heart problem just thinking about it. She's already run most of a 1,500, and now she drops a flat-out sprint and crosses the finish line first. She ends up with the bronze medal. Some have said it's the greatest 1,500-meter race ever run by a woman in the Olympics. Why was it the greatest 1,500-meter race ever run by a woman in the Olympics? Because she tripped. If she hadn't tripped, she was expected to win the heat by far. The reality is because she fell, it creates suddenly this great moment where she can outperform anybody's expectations. This is the reality of the body of Christ. Because the context of relational community is difficult, because people are people, this challenge gives us the absolute greatest context, the greatest place for us to experience the privilege of living like Jesus. There is no better place than a body of Christ where people are different. The challenge of community for us to feel what, experience what it's like to live like Jesus and know the joy of the kingdom of God in living like Christ. Look at verse 16. So, do not let what you regard as evil, or, sorry, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, regard, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. What is good here? Christian liberty. The liberty you have to experience food and drink and entertainment and the things you enjoy doing, these are good things God has blessed you with. Don't let these good things be spoken of as evil. Don't let the good things from Christ be spoken of as a bad thing. Freedom in Jesus is, in fact, good. But it's not good if our liberty causes our brothers or sisters to be harmed. So the value here... The value of the kingdom of God is not our liberty. The value of the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
What are our Christian liberties? What are the, food that, the foods we eat and the, the things we drink and the possessions we enjoy? These are blessings from God. But these blessings are useless if we miss out on the primary purpose of God's kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. If we don't have righteousness, peace, and joy in the kingdom of God, his blessings are no blessings at all. His liberties are no liberties at all. Because there is not enough joy in food, drink, and possessions to make up for the joy we've lost from missing out on the kingdom of God. This is the joy of the kingdom of God, verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ. This is the joy. This is the kingdom of God. This is the context where in the, in the context of the believers around us, we have the greatest opportunity to be like Jesus when we say, I don't need to have that drink. I don't need to have that car. I don't need to have that, uh, that meal. I, need, I don't need to go to that movie. And I am happy to say no if I think it might cause a problem for my brother and sister in the Lord. In the context of the body of believers, it might be that you don't have to decide what songs you like and don't like. You uh, don't have to decide... Uh, if you like the decor in the room, you don't have to decide if you like the kinds of personalities of the people you're uh, sitting around. Don't look. The joy of the kingdom of God is coming together and having the, the fuel of our relationships be grace and acceptance in the Lord. Through personal sacrifice to show love and affection for one another. We can do this in our homes, we can do this at work, and we can do this especially among the community of believers, the body of Christ. Verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. If you want joy in this kingdom, if you want joy in the kingdom of God, then we are like Christ. We pursue for what makes peace and builds others up. That's something to think about as we come together as believers, whether it's in the body of Christ on Sunday morning, whether it's for a home group, whether you're meeting somebody for coffee. I wonder how we think about what we're going into as we go into those contexts where we're meeting with other believers, uh, here or in the community throughout the week. You ever get together with somebody that you're going to get together? Are you thinking, okay, what can I do in this moment? I've only got a few minutes with this person. I've only got a, an hour with the believers on Sunday morning. I've only got a, uh, an hour and a half in, in home group. Is, is there something I can do that can build up the believers I know in my life? Or do we approach it the way we often do? Which, man, I hope it's good this morning. Man, I hope I can go home with something to hold on to. We would never think of going to a restaurant that way. Man, I really hope when I go to Red Robin today that they're, they're blessed that I came. And maybe you may want to bless the, the wait staff or uh, the people who are helping you, but for the most part, they better get my burger right. There's going to be a problem. Better not have to wait too long. And in the kingdom of God, we get to be intentional, be like Christ. Like when he left heaven, he was intentionally pursuing relationships with people that were different than him, that were in fact broken. He intentionally pursued, how can I show grace and kindness to people who are different than me? And he's calling us as believers and saying, do you want to experience what real joy is like? then approach the body of believers the same way Jesus does. What does it look like to show, okay, who can I show grace to today? Who can I show kindness to today? 
When I leave today, is there somebody who will be touched by the kindness of God? By His grace, could He use me to encourage and strengthen the walk with someone else? That is fundamentally most powerfully done with people who are different than you. Because that is where we experience the greatest joy of Christ's ministry to us, the kingdom of joy. You have to take it by by faith. You have to actually believe it. Because for some reason, it's hardwired into our minds. The way we are happy is when, when things go the way I think they ought to, and when I get the things I want. Well, let's just go down that road just for a minute. It's not my notes. Now we're really risking. When was the last time you got what you wanted? Hopefully it was recently. Hopefully you've had, you know, no, this went the way. How long does the happiness last? So certainly at some point this week, you got something you wanted, right? We're not sure yet. Maybe, hopefully this month, is that, can I throw the net a little wider? So since you got what you wanted in whatever that re- area of your life is, you ordered a good meal or you bought something on, on the Amazon or uh, um, closed a big deal at work, I don't know. So certainly since you got what you wanted, you're good. You're dialed in, right? You're content. Now it's just a matter of waiting for your funeral, <laughs> Right? I mean, you're good. You got what you wanted, right? That's not how it works. How long does it last? It depends on the thing, right? You get a good meal, it'll last till the meal's over. And what's the first thing that I do after I finish lunch? What's for dinner? Right? It doesn't matter what you get, what you want, when you get it. And, and by God's grace, is one of the blessings he gives us is we get a whole bunch of the stuff we want. We need to recognize the, the, the power of it is is short and it fades. We all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The joy in the kingdom of God doesn't fade. But we have to actually believe that not getting what we want and serving others is powerfully joyful because that's how Jesus works. But we have to believe it to do it. We won't do what we don't believe. Okay, a couple of things before we take communion together. Uh, For those of you who are strong in the faith, that is, you uh, appreciate and understand and experience your Christian liberty, and you know there's no restrictions outside living in the flesh. Obviously, we know what sins are. If you're strong, here, uh, I'll just read what I wrote here. If not getting to use your liberty to the full range of what you think ought to really bothers you, It really bothers you that people don't understand. The Bible doesn't say drinking alcohol is wrong. It really bothers you that when you go watch a particular movie, that somebody in the church says, well, you'd watch that movie? It really bothers you that people look down on you for owning a a late model luxury vehicle. It really bothers you that you can't experience... Why are people bothered by this? Here's the thing. If If people being bothered by our liberties bothers us, we're not as strong as we think. So one of the things we must do as as believers who know and experience Christian liberties, when somebody is bothered by our liberty, we have to recognize, oh man, this is a great opportunity for me to experience the joy of the Lord by saying no to something I know is okay to serve another. Because to serve another actually brings more joy than the thing I'm saying no to. So if we're strong and it bothers us that they're weak brothers, I might suggest... We aren't as strong as we think. For those of us who are weak, there are certain things that really bother us. We know they're not wrong, but they, they bother us. 
You should want to be strong. You should want to experience freedom in Jesus. You should seek through the knowledge of his word and growing in Christ, the ability to experience the full range of liberty in your life. Let me read the one verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Did I say one verse? Of course, I meant four. So again, I just like to contrast this. Because, can I give you my opinion? You said earlier not to share them all. I'm only going to share the one, not the others. Mostly in churches today, we're not dealing with weaker, stronger. There, there are occasions. I, I would say probably the biggest area where we deal with weaker, stronger is in the, use, the area of alcohol use, not primarily connected with past religious experiences, but experience with addiction and abuse in the home. And that's fair. And we should recognize that. Most of the time, I'm, I'm being general, I'm generalizing, most of the time in the body of Christ today, we're not coming out of Jewish background and Gentile background. And the issue is just we're coming out of religious, legalistic fundamentalism. And I was told as a kid, you don't watch movies that are rated R. So anybody who does is naughty. That's not the same as weaker brother. 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, we're talking about end times, so now you're awake. So when the end times comes, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now you're interested, what is the teaching of demons? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, they will, here it goes, forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. One of the signs of false teaching in the end times is a restriction on Christian liberty. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If we find ourselves in a situation where we're a weaker brother or sister, then pray God gives us the grace to grow in strength. And for those of us who are strong, let's extend grace and kindness that their growth might continue. But let's also continue to call legalism what it is, a lie from Satan. You can't earn God's favor with good behavior. Also, you can't earn legalist favor with good behavior. Has it ever been done? Anybody know any legalists? Don't look at them. You can't make them happy. They can't be made happy. Even if you do all the things and don't do any of the other things, they will always be annoyed with you. Moving on. I almost got riled up. Okay, last question. About the church. Think about church this morning. Thanks for coming, by the way. Is the church hard and frustrating? Just the people. I don't mean you guys. It's supposed to be. It's, it's, that's the goal. Hang out with people not like you so you can learn to be like Jesus. I've got an idea. I'm going to go hang out with a bunch of people just like me. That will profoundly limit your ability to learn to be like Jesus. Because Jesus, the trajectory of Jesus' ministry was to humble himself because the only kinds of people were not like him. Now, I don't want church community to be any more difficult than it ought to be. It ought not to be terribly frustrating. Our impulse in our culture, we just need to recognize it, our impulse in our culture is to hit eject and find people more like ourselves when we get annoyed. So you just get to the part 
where we have a great opportunity by faith to ex- exercise what it's like to be like Jesus. And we say, I'm going to find somebody easier. So you're in the gym and you've got a personal trainer. And every time they ask you to lift something heavy, you look for a new personal trainer. Doesn't make any sense. So you get into community believers. God, by his grace, sticks you with a bunch of people who drive you nuts. He said, I'm going to find some people more like me. So you join the Moose Lodge or the Elks. And we totally miss out on a great chance to be like Jesus. Church is supposed to be a challenge because none of us are home yet. And it's the great place to discover what it's like to live like Jesus. Let's apply this together uh, by taking communion together. So I'm going to give us a couple of thoughts. I just want to let you know this morning because... um, we have a little bit more time with doing one service. We'll, we're going to do communion just a little bit different than we have in the past. But I, as I always recommend, why don't you go ahead and open your communion elements. I would do the bread first. It's a little bit easier and avoid spilling the cup or the juice, I should say. Jesus in 1 Corinthians tells us that we do this in remembrance of him. And what we want to remember today, especially as it applies to the passage we're looking at, is Jesus set aside his preferences to pursue something greater, which is the joy of our redemption. Uh, There's another verse I just wanted to touch on just really quickly. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Since Jesus is our model and our source, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, hear that? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus pursued giving up his preferences, glory in heaven, to in humiliation pursue our best through the cross. And the Bible describes that as joy. He experienced the joy set before him for on our behalf to endure the cross. So when we take communion together, we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus, who endured what needed to be endured for the benefit of us, our redemption. So if we're going to remember Jesus this morning, one of the things we have to do is, is what do I need to do in my home, in my neighborhood, in, in my place of employment, in my business, in my church? What are the things that I, for the joy set before me, I can set aside for the benefit of others that they might know Jesus better? How do I remember Christ? The, things, the preferences I have, this is the way it ought to be. I say, no, I don't need that. If it will benefit uh, the people in my home and the people in my community and the people in my church, how can I serve others the way Jesus has served them? This is how we're going to do it this morning. Uh, We're going to have just a moment to pray. I want to give you an opportunity now in this moment, whatever the Spirit's putting on your heart in that regard, to come before the Lord is really an act of repentance and confession, thanksgiving, that we can experience His grace in this moment. Then after just a few minutes, I'll close that time in prayer. I'm going to read the passage this morning uh, related to the bread. We'll have a prayer of thanks for the bread, and then we'll eat the bread together. Then I'll read the section uh, about the cup. We'll have a prayer of thanks for the cup. And we'll uh, take the cup after that prayer. So a little bit different than we've done before. We can take a little bit of time this morning to really settle our hearts on Christ. Why don't we in this moment 
Come to the Lord in quiet prayer, wherever we sit. Maybe there's something he's putting on your heart right now that you need to give to him in repentance and confession. Maybe there's some thanksgiving you want to give. This is an opportunity to come before the Lord, to have our hearts in the right place as we take communion together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for hearing us in this moment and hearing us because of the work of Jesus, that we can come before your presence and know you hear us because Jesus has cleansed us with his blood. We're grateful, God, for the body of believers, that you have called us into relationship with you, not on our own, not in isolation, but called us to be your people. We pray and ask God that that this body of believers, that we would be marked with the work of Christ in our hearts, that we would be among those who serve and seek the best for those around us and the relationships in our community would be characterized by grace. We ask God you would rebuke the enemy as he seeks to destroy us. And instead, God, give us great reliance on Christ alone. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for the bread, a symbol of your broken body, where you took on yourself the punishment that should have been ours. We pray, God, as we eat it, we will be reminded that you are the one who sustains us. You are our Savior. Let's eat together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. We thank you that you have forgiven us of all the sin we have ever committed and ever will commit. And we thank you it's because of your shed blood that we can know God. We ask God in this moment you would cleanse our hearts and give us the joy of the Lord again. In Jesus' name, let's drink together.